There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I think that you're like Elvis to some people, and I think that you should know that. Well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm but I'm like, um, yeah, but yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I, yeah, that's nice. It's nice and freaky, but thank you. You can't handle the direct compliment. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm British. I'm sorry. Hello. As promised, here's something extra for you. We talked to Succession writer and executive producer Lucy Preble on this week's episode. And that was part of a much longer conversation. I think basically Sarah was trying to keep her on the call long enough for Stockholm Syndrome to set in. Um, But aside from that sad spectacle of my wife trying to befriend someone... There was so much that we didn't get time to include in the main episode, which was mainly about Connor's wedding. So this is the rest of it. And Lucy was such great company. We loved her show, I Hate Susie, uh, which she co-created with Billy Piper. So we, we get to talk about that a little bit. And also some of the nuts and bolts of the Succession Writers Room, which I think you will find fascinating. It really seems like what Jesse Armstrong has done there is is like one of those action films where they assemble all these superheroes, or like a supergroup, but but not a shitty one, if such a thing exists. And Lucy was so glowing about her colleagues in that room, you get a sense that any one of those writers you see named on the credits each week could do any of it. But it was so interesting to just get a little bit of a sense of what each of them specifically brings to the stew. Do people bring things to stews? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I like the idea of a communal stew, actually. It's it's definitely not a broth, though. Uh, There's no spoiling going on. So here is part two of Lucy Preble. I'm so truly interested in some of, like, the way that the writer's room works. And I'm wondering, like, if I'm looking on screen, it says written by Lucy Preble and Jesse Armstrong. Can you give me as much of a play-by-play of how that, what that looks like, what the going apart and coming back together is. Lucy has already disavowed you of the notion that it's a big group therapy session and then <laughs> somebody, <laughs> somebody draws those and then somebody goes away and writes it's the episode. It's you and Jesse crying and holding each other and then what happens? <laughs> the way that the sausage gets made is quite complicated and there's a sort of like ladies and gentlemen that the show gets made and it gets really good and everybody helps out. So basically, the room is responsible for the whole series arc. We're in the room for a really long time, which is, I think, why the show has quite a lot of, hopefully, richness to each episode, because it's like three months or longer that we're all in the room coming up with the whole series arc, 
and then each episode by episode and each beat in each episode. So all of us are kind of doing that. And then each episode will get given to a writer to do the first draft of. And then the episodes will just get whatever they need after that. Mm -hmm. It's a really beautiful, kind, compassionate group of people. On my episodes when I write, one, uh, I want it to go to Tony Roche, who's like the funniest man in the world, has done some of the greatest writing in comedy of the last few decades. And you want it to be punched up as much as possible. You want everybody who can help make it better to make it better. And there are certain characters sometimes that people write really, really well. There are certain dynamics that certain people will be quite responsible for. So it's a situation where it's kind of a, a group effort with Jesse in charge. Always will do a reading. And then after the episode reading, we'll learn a lot of information. And some episodes really flourish in that. And some episodes you start to go, oh, there's a really big problem here. And we need to look at it. And, and we need to make some major changes. And you see, it's hard to predict what those episodes will be. Um, we just want all of them to be as good as they can possibly be and, and get everyone's help on that. Just in the writer's room, what does a good day at work look like? And what does a bad day at work look like? A uh, good day, Itsu. Bad day, Pratt. That's basically <laughs> oh. the shape of it. That's what anyone cares about. Uh, okay, d- is that a democracy? No, it's 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 very much not. It used to be decided on like everyone got a chance to choose, but everyone was too intimidated by their own responsibility of choosing. So then the writer's assistant just chose randomly every day, which made everyone much happier. Because then then you could just blame fate. What's your go-to itsu order and your go-to pret? I'll go super slim salmon. That has all the salmon ones. Yes. That's really good. Pret, that's Tony Roche's favorite. Like, he'll just... And then Jesse loves a pret, actually, to be fair. They love a pret. Um, if it's pret, oh, it's, yeah, like a soup. I'm smelling a little bit of a princess. I smell a princess. <laughs> right? Like, it takes one to know one, but they were doing a good black bean soup at the moment, if you're interested. What other TV shows... Would everyone in your writer's room love? There's a lot of arguing. I would say there's hardly any um, complete consensus. Okay. There are shows that have caused real, like, what are you talking about? Fights in the room. You, can you um, can you name them? Yeah, I won't name who said what. No, but what those but, shows but, are. Redacted. Had a very divided opinion. <gasps> as did... Um, Redacted. We can't get into... Redacted. Like, I, I just can't. I can't. Nice. I won't watch it. I won't watch it. Which actually, when Jess turned it off and he was like, what he was saying was, we hate redacted and couldn't get enough of I hate Susie. Oh. That's for us. And that's just not for us. Redacted. I really, I really did like redacted. But I some know. of it's so eggy. Yeah, some of it's so eggy, but... Yeah, and it's what you're prepared to... With every show, including Succession, it's what you're prepared to forgive as well. Like, nothing's flawless, but some well, things just don't matter to you. You're like, oh, it's fine that this... You know, I, I watch cuts of our show and are like, oh, that's annoying. I hate that, you know. Well, we don't feel that. And I was, you know, thinking back to you talking about how, like, no, there are all these extras and everyone. I think that what you guys have achieved is this this thing that's a little bit singular in terms of its flawlessness. And so the people who think that their taste is good and they're not going to be watching Redacted. or like what, whatever these snobs like us are into feel <laughs> so grateful for like this thing that feels like a complete work of art in a way that's really nice i'm not saying it right but you get what i'm trying to say i love it when people notice small things because the show is such a group effort 
Sometimes people will notice something that shamefully, even I, who's on set every day, go, oh God, I didn't even look at the label of that thing properly. And that was chosen by, I mean, one couple of names I would say just because they don't get enough recognition. Monica Jacobs, our prop master, who is just the absolute best, is is selecting every item that you see on the screen. And then an actor's walking into that space and interacting with that stuff. And if it's the right stuff, you'll get a better performance, right? Stephen Carter, who we refer to as the um, Carter, the unstoppable sex machine, makes all of the um, (laughs) sets and locations and makes all the choices for that. And basically builds the world of the show. So those are people who make all those tiny decisions that affect people so much and don't really get the same level of recognition as other people do. I really appreciate the 90s indie reference. Well, he, he doesn't. He has no idea. You know, I didn't understand it. <laughs> He's American, but we like it. And I also really feel like the detail for which everybody then starts to contribute to the show, they're, they're thinking really, like, how can this be a small work of art in the sea? And... That's quite beautiful. That does make you f- feel a lot of nice feelings. Not to be oh. like, yeah, yeah, it makes you feel nice to, when nice when, when people are turning up and do. Like, well, yeah, you know what I'm like. No, I know. I like. I love. I love the um discrepancy of you being like, and I like the nice feelings. <laughs> and I juxtapose. Enjoy I enjoy the thanks for the nice feelings and juxtaposing that against some of the things I know you've written is very amusing. <laughs> The um, neurotransmitters in my brain are doing nice things now. They will end, thank you. but like now they're doing nice things. For liking the complete work that we have made. Um, we were going to ask you what your superpower is. So it's like when it's like, okay, here's what's on the table. We go to Lucy for this. If they're going to Tony because he's the funniest man in the business and he's going to punch up this scene, they're coming to you because... Yeah, also I would say Tony does a lot more than that, by the way. Like, I'm just saying oh, like, yeah, he, he course, also happens course, to be the funniest man in the world. And he's a huge part of the whole show. And yes, I, yes. I sometimes I don't think he gets mentioned enough, so I just like to say Tony Roche several times. Tony Roche, Tony Roche. Um, toxic, problematic relationships, uh, emotionally repressed people having uh, conversations about sex or love. Sex scenes. Um, anything sexual will come through me, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Um, which I know we don't do a lot of, but I also, you know, I I, I, I I keep my hand in there. Also, Jesse's wants everyone to make sure that they feel all right about it. We we love doing sex scenes that are weird. When we first started out, I think HBO were really like, sure, you don't want to um, put anything more amorous in the show. Like, we're HBO, you know, you're allowed to show this or the other. We're like, oh, we will. <laughs> we will. And then we'd like deliver the most horrible I'm naked, <laughs> repressed, fucked up thing. And they'd be like, okay, we were thinking more. Uh, but no, it's never going to happen. <laughs> we just sort of love the idea of being on HBO and never, ever showing anyone's tits or anything. Never making an actor do anything that they feel uncomfortable with. <laughs> I am a broad-minded adult, but I've, I've come to believe that sex scenes, unless something weird happens or unless something bad happens... They're rarely serving the story. They're rarely telling you anything about the character or moving the plot forward. Yeah, as you say, unless they are, it's sort of either titillation or, I don't know, something else. I I, I write more of them in, you know, I Hate Susie had that whole episode in its first season that was a sort of masturbation thing. But I think it's only worth doing if you're saying something new, maybe, because... Otherwise, it seems regressive, I guess, in several oh. ways. Or how it can be, don't you think, Sarah? Do you find? I was just thinking about the... the. I don't know if you're talking about the thing in, in I Hate Susie 2 in the second one, where she someone knocks on her door and it's very clear that she's using her vibrator and her 
dressing mm-hmm. room. And uh. I just, again, it's back to this real, like, that. right, that would happen. You'd be a, some kind of person and you'd eventually be like, I'm going to go. Like, I'm just going to be here for hours. And someone would knock on the door and just watching her face. And it felt very long by television standards. Like, how long we were allowed to watch her be like, she heard me winking, she heard me winking, she heard me winking. She heard, was, was just, I mean, it wasn't as good as reaction. But I did, <laughs> um, I did sort of enjoy watching that. It's also fun, like, this is just a by the by, like, I feel as an exec producer, there is a difference between an actor who's got a huge amount of power on set, like Billy Piper, who's executive producer of that show, choosing what it is that we're doing and how we're going to shoot it. Then there is, like, bringing an actor in as a day player, which sometimes can happen on shows, and be like, okay, meet this person, and now you're God. doing this together. Yeah, and so I just, weird. I just, there's, there's lots of power differences in how you actually yeah, shoot sets that I think is not told, really talked about very much, but actually if you empower people to like choose to have power in that scene and go, oh, actually that, not that crew member, maybe this crew member and st-, like, it's a completely yes. different feeling. Anyway. No, no, no. It's yeah, so interesting. I never interesting. thought about any of that until those, those people that are now brought intimacy in. Yeah. Like when yeah. people start yeah. talking about intimacy coordinators, it never occurred to me that anything was anything other than an actor who got a job. You know, you didn't, I just never thought about that. Yeah, no. What, um, if they're going to you, for the sexy times and emotional repression and emotional repression. What? Well, they're some... going to all of us for the emotional repression. To be fair, and some of the sexy. Is there times. say a similar? If it's like, look, everyone's working on all this, but Tony's here doing this. You're here doing this. Is there a, a similar bit of pigeonholing that we could do with Susan Soonhi Stanton or John Brown or Georgia Pritchett? Um, well, they're superpowers. It's a nicer way of asking. Sorry. It. Yeah, it feel. I, I mean, they're all brilliant to everything. Like oh, these are my colleagues. So they're all absolutely yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, they're all like the Susan Stanton has an amazing knowledge of New York. So she can do everything, but she also is really, really helpful to have somebody who knows New York so well and. Also, she's really au fait with restaurants and like where people would go and what they would actually do and what they would be uh-huh. and who they would be. Stuff that as Brits, which many of the others of us are, could, could be a bit clumsy about. So not only is she an incredible writer in her own right doing all that, but I'm just saying that that's something she can do that I couldn't do. That loads of other people, others just would have no idea about. We'd very easily write the wrong restaurant. They'd be go to an opening of Planet Hollywood in Times Square if it was left to you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, a John Brown is just unbelievable structure. Oh, John Brown has the tightest structure of anyone I know. He's amazing. And he also writes an incredible Roman. He writes everyone brilliantly, but some of right. the most vicious and fantastic insults and turns of phrase uh, I will often find. I would say that John might well be responsible for the greatest Nero and Sporus moments between Greg and Tom as well, in my memory. Uh-huh. But I may be wrong about that. But he writes a terrific Greg and Tom scene as well. Um, yeah. Will Tracy, unbelievably funny guy and writer. So funny. Um, and Georgia Pritchett, just wonderful. It does an extremely good everything. But um, argument scenes like throwing bottles in, I think, season two, say for him, where... Um, Tom loses his shit at Greg and throws water bottles. That's a very Georgia Pritchett moment. This is so illuminating. So illuminating. And Sarah wanted to know, um, does Jesse ever raise his voice? Oh, yeah, I do How do you know that. when Jesse's not happy? He'll do this. So he'll sort of like put his hands on his head and not be able to make eye contact with you. He'll never raise his voice. I would say I've never seen Jesse raise his voice ever. 
I think he's unnaturally calm as a man. There are so many examples, uh, so many um, uh-huh. occurrences on set where I would be so anxious or tense. I don't even mean in conflict. I mean more like something's happening. We're like, oh, we're out of money or we, we've lost this location. Like really big things. But he just never gets, ever gets tense. It's quite weird. He's like water. Yeah, he's like water. I think he's got something in the brain that actually keeps him unnaturally relaxed, which I'm deeply jealous of. I want whatever that is to be injected into me <laughs> because it would help me a lot in my life. But yeah, I I think it's one of the reasons he's such a great showrunner is he just hormonally wow. or biologically doesn't seem to have access to panic. Or at least when he does panic, it just takes a different form. Daily transcendental meditation, Lucy, is something that I'm working on myself just to... H- how's it going? Can you do it? I can. I think what you have to do is you have to like not punish yourself based on how it goes. So like you have a good sesh uh-huh. or a bad sesh, but the point is you show up to do it so that we can all yeah. live with just a little bit more of whatever Jesse's got going because it is that is a true superpower and I aspire to it. Yeah, me, me too. I really envy it. Yeah, same. Which was the toughest nut to crack? Well, just to go this season, um, I don't want to be disrespectful to any episode because they're all really in different ways. I, I th- well, There's an episode in this season later which we took down to the studs so many times, by which I mean, like, it wasn't working, it wasn't working, it wasn't wor- working. And we really late in the day and pulled it together. Like, embarrassingly late in the day, like, apologising to the actors late in the day. And I saw the edit of it, and I was like, this is one of the best things I've ever fucking seen in this show. This is great. And what's great is there's an element in the episode that's a bit like that and has a similar feeling to it. And it was so great. It was like a sort of, like, cartoon of everyone high-fiving and being like, oh, my God, we were so worried about this. And it's turned out so wonderful. And also, it's such a testament to the actors who are, like, sometimes walking on set with really late drafts where things have changed and just totally nailing it like it's it's so professional and amazing and I've really loved working on a show where the question is always but what's actually true what's actually real Mm. about this not what makes people feel things you know but I've been out for dinner with a, a lot of people who will tell me some true thing that's happened to them in their life, and it is not gripping. It's seldom <laughs> gripping. That's, that's, right. that's the art of it. Yeah. Yeah. We were thinking today with watching this third episode today was like, what a feat it was. It felt like you were watching this grief play out in real time, and that to actually make that very compelling is kind of incredible and I didn't think about how how difficult what is my question even here like how difficult was it to make it feel like you were just watching one scene whilst maintaining Mm. momentum one cheat that we learned quite early on was when you have all the kids in the same room you can get away with a lot Uh. so with those actors when they're all in the same space things somehow remain compelling for quite a long time I think it's just dynamics. I think it's just that those actors have really great dynamics. And also you trust the old, the sibling dynamics between them. So it's a bit of a naughty cheat, but it's like we can, we can get away with a lot if we can get them all in the same space. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, I think as soon as you move on to the fact that 
that somebody has to make a business decision. I think that's the crux of it that's that's really useful is when somebody really powerful dies, it can't just be about the grief. A bunch of people have to make a lot of decisions about what order to do things in. And that's where you go like, oh, that's that's going to save us momentum wise, because very quickly somebody has to say something because the whole of the US markets are depending on whether they do or they don't. And that was a world you knew a little bit, well, presumably you knew a lot about. I know Enron was something that a lot of research went into. You're not just uh, given the Financial Times a once over and listen to a couple of business podcasts and, and you're making it up. This is... <laughs> I mean, we're also doing that. We're also like listening to a couple of business podcasts and and desperately hoping for the best. But yeah, I, I, I happen to have written about corporate stuff before. So I had, a, a, you know, a, a bit of research onto my belt. But we also have these amazing consultants. Again, would love to just name check someone. Um, Marissa Marr, who is our business consultant, who comes into the room quite often and will... Basically, what Marissa's face does dictates a lot of how the season goes. So we'll be pitching to Marissa who'll come in who's really experienced in matters of corporate mergers, American markets, everything. And, and we'll be telling her what we want to do. And she'll be going, ha, 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 ha. And then suddenly she'll go, and we'll be like, oh, no, that's an important <laughs> bit. You know, yeah. and then she'll be like, that would never happen. Like, well, yeah, she's, she's very strict with us on board stuff because we really like to sail close to the wind with what's happening on the board. And she's like, you just can't do that. A board would never behave that way. So, um so we were also very grateful to the really wonderful, experienced consultants who come in and make sure that we don't make an absolute arse of ourselves. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. me here for a second because I want to try and join up something I've observed in you and something I've also observed in the writing. Really? Oh God. You are you are not only this talent, but it's also I feel like you sort of attract similarly enormous talent to you, not just work but personal life too. Because okay, so there's Jesse Armstrong 
You are good friends with Billy Piper. You are friends with Rebecca Taylor, a.k.a. Self-Esteem. Yes. Okay, now let's set that aside for a second. Today was the day I realized you wrote Austerlitz. Yeah. Which is the episode from season one where everyone goes to Connor's house in the desert for family therapy. And that is not just of one of my favorite episodes, but it contains my favorite line Maybe in any TV show ever. Okay. And it's it's the line where Logan says to Shiv, um, you know, you've married this man, Legion's beneath Fathoms you beneath because you. you're afraid to come. Yeah. Fathoms beneath you because you're afraid to come. <gasps> yeah. I mean, it's just so much about, you don't need me to tell you this, but like so much about everything was in that and you wrote that line. Yes, I, I did. This is my thing. <laughs> and and this is my whole point about you is that by writing that line, you you so you don't like that in people when they're so far beneath other people. You're very talented. I'm sorry I'll avoid eye contact. So you got to find these crazy people to surround yourself with so that you are not guilty of the thing that Shiv is guilty of in the show. Wow. I've been oh, thinking about this. how am this. I supposed to respond to that? This was supposed to be a light comic podcast. Fuck it out. I'll now ask you something that's easier to answer instead of just giving you very complimentary psychoanalysis. No. I'm really happy to talk about that if you would like. Um, talk about whatever you yeah, want. Yeah, I think that I think that your kink is high levels of talent. And I think that reflects so well on your... um. <laughs> Your self-esteem levels. Anyway, that's what I was that's what I was thinking oh. about while I was making my son dinner. <laughs> okay. Um or glomming onto coattails of excellent people. I mean that's mm. that's also a really a good a good thing to that do. That would that would be it. Look, that that is the direction I would go in nine out of ten. Uh. I'd be like, okay, I get it. The way that she builds herself up. But because your resume is what your resume is, I'm like, oh no, it's uh you know what I mean? Where anyway and, and I just right. think that that's so I'm like really interested in people who platonically in a way is more interesting than romantically. Like people who platonically get really attracted to people at their level. And I think it's such a sexy quality in people. And I guess I think that because That's I, interesting. I'm trying to grow into it, but I'm not there. I'm not there yet. Well, yeah. I mean, I think also there might be an element of if these people like me, I am worth something. Like there could be a similar action underneath trying to hang out with very talented, high status people as what you are describing. There may be a self-worth issue that's sort of like, if these people who I think are amazing also like me, I am accepted. Like there could be a similar sort of um, thing under that. Yes, I think you that know, that's as true. Well. But I uh, see now I'm just going to I'm going to wind up complimenting you in a way that makes you uncomfortable. Okay. Well, let's back away. Yeah, let's so, back away. So, so when you're writing about a relationship characteristic like that one in Shiv's marriage, are there perhaps people, you know, in real life who you're using as inspiration for that, who, who end up recognising themselves? Surprising how few people recognise themselves, I find generally. It's interesting. Uh, you get a surprising number of people who think something's them that's got nothing to do with them. I think it's only levels of narcissism, really. I don't think anyone really has. I'd never really had the experience of anyone that accurately spotting themselves. But I think, um, Schiff and Tom, it's funny, nothing got as many notes in the first season as Schiff and Tom's relationship from various sources in terms of what is this? There was a really confused, somewhat negative response. Like, 
this feels like something's wrong. What does she see in this guy? This isn't working. And it's really interesting that that for me has been one of the most solid and interesting bedrocks to build on throughout all of the seasons. Because it's a relationship that I think television, American television, dare I say, wasn't very used to see and therefore felt untrue. But I don't think it is untrue. I think it's a relationship with two people who have a mutual unspoken agreement between them to do with power and to do with status between them. As soon as it gets spoken, it becomes very dangerous, but is definitely there. And I think that that, I think you see that quite a lot around actually um and jesse certainly always was interested in the more powerful woman who's with a sort of plausible guy and i think you do see that sort of thing quite a lot and it's a sort of masochistic it's a sadomasochistic relationship to some extent and it's really complex and they're both complicit in it and both get quite a lot out of it and the extent to which they're able to unpack what they actually get out of it or have got out of it in the past is limited because it's so risky. And that's really fun because it's much more fun to write a sort of repressed relationship or one that is compacted oh. or impacted in some way. And I think I'm pretty excited. There's some stuff later on in this season that is really exciting that I'm really proud of between all of us that comes up between Tom and Shiv that I think is going to answer some of those questions about how it works. I found the sex role play at the end of season three very relatable. Oh my God. At the end of season three in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's I'm very, just yeah, a I like classic that. Thursday night for us. Whose idea was that? <laughs> well, that's a combination of me, Tony, and Jesse. And I'm very proud of. There's some bits where you know, you know, the post-sex discussion they have afterwards, <laughs> walking around. A lot of the Tom Shiv scenes get passed between Jesse and I, back and forth, back and forth. And the the section where where he's like, I think sometimes I should pay attention to the things you say directly in my face when we're making love. And when she calls him my favorite bit. We wrote was uh, when she says it's it's incredibly manipulative of you to say say anything to me and then to have a go at me about it. Oh, oh. I, yeah, that's 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 very cathartic. <laughs> There's a lot more of that fun. I just I think it's some of the realest stuff I've ever seen on television. That dynamic between them, and as you said, it's so common. A power imbalance of some kind where someone is with someone because they have control is so common and you never see it. Uh, and and some people have a need or a desperate compulsion to be controlled or to be in the company of someone more powerful than them. She needs to feel safe more than anything and power makes her feel safe. And Tom will never betray her. You know, well, you know, we know that's well, not true, but like that's mean. the that's the right. that was the com- yeah. um the contract. And that has, oh, you know, changed. God. You've been so so generous with your time. Um, I'm happy to stay. Don't worry. Like, I've got nothing to go to. You got power right now. Yes. <laughs> so this is what is interesting <laughs> to Everyone me. wants Everyone you. wants a meeting with Preble. Mm. And is succession, is it like you've just been in the Beatles and you're going to have an interesting solo career? You're going to do great work, but you'll never be in the Beatles again? Or is it, oh, no, wait and see what I can do <laughs> with the kind of doors and budgets that are going to be open to me that succession is going to allow. I see you as Justin Timberlake as InSync is coming to a close. <laughs> That's nice. I could go Timberlake. Um, no, it's a really sort of depressing answer. No, not a depressing answer. It's a, it's a low-key answer. I've basically been working full-time on two shows for five years. Um, Susie, both seasons of it, alongside Succession. 
I'm going to take a lot of time off because I'm knackered. And I know that's not a very sexy answer, but I really, really need to. So that's kind of what I'm going to do. But I, but it, emotionally, the truth is I do have a very strong sense of having been in something a bit golden. I was aware of it while we were doing it. And I'm 42. And I had this feeling of being like in the center of my life. Like it's very strong sense that wow. like everything will sort of radiate from here now. And if I'm really lucky, I'll live this same period again, right? But that somehow I'm in the center of my life. And I had this really strong feeling of it in Italy at the end of last season when we were shooting and I was standing there and I was with Jesse and Tony, who are now like two of my closest friends in the whole world. And then I was just looking around in Italy. And it was a time when not a lot of people could travel as well. So I felt so fortunate to be there. And I just felt this very strange feeling of like, this is the center of my life. And I feel very grateful for that. And I've just written them. They're, they're publishing. You probably know this, but they're publishing all of the scripts of all of the seasons soon. And I wrote a, an introduction to one of the seasons where I tried to express that. But yeah, I do feel that very strongly. But I don't really feel any pressure about it. What I feel is just honestly really, really, really grateful for it. And I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I've given everything. That sounds really wanky, but I have. I've given all my time, yeah. a lot of my heart, and a lot of my courage to both these shows, especially Susie, as you don't see it. Like, it's quite, it's trying a lot. And I just feel a bit like I need to take a break. And that's what I'm going to do. And we'll see what comes out of that. Are you able to enjoy downtime as a person? Yeah, I'm actually inherently quite lazy. I find work really annoying. That is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I might be lying. people don't have that. No, I'm sure yeah. that you, I'm sure that it's true about you and you know it. That's great. I, I well, I, I what I feel like is I don't know the answer to that. Like I remember the me from before the last five years who really loved downtime, mm-hmm. but it might be that I've become addicted to something is what I mean. Like I might not really know yet whether that's yeah. true. But I I think the engine by which I work is quite complicated, like for for all of us. And I think Sometimes I need to feel a bit resentful towards doing something and somehow that spurs an anger in me that makes me work. Like, it's quite complicated. Doing two things at once is really useful for me because on succession, I feel a certain way and then I I go and I work on I Hate Susie, which is a show where I'm doing a lot and and I'm doing a lot on succession too, but succession is just a very, very well-funded, very luxurious show in comparison to I Hate Susie. And then I sort of use one thing to push off into the other, to get annoyed with that thing. And then I go and work on the other thing. And I find that quite a useful method. So basically I'm lazy and resentful. (laughs) They help me in the long term. You're like a Mormon with two husbands, where like you can like go over to this house when that one's fucking you off a little bit. Exactly. And I think I find that really motivating. (laughs) That's a really good way of doing things. So I don't know if I don't know what I'll do without that, but I think I'm just gonna try and see what comes writing just from nothing. Like, well, what what would you write if you could write anything? Yeah. Although very funnily, Jesse and I uh, talking about meeting up and having these regular lunches the writers to have like a room without a show and so we might you know, like to see each other without necessarily having to make something and we'll see what happens with and that. maybe that will then become the group therapy that you always hope oh that it i was. really would just want all of you to sit and cry in public that's what i'm <laughs> but like like a really nice never gonna restaurant. happen never gonna happen no well Listen, Lucy, we're among the legions of people who are really, really grateful that you've been working as hard as you have. Well, thank you, Sarah. I'm really trying to feel that compliment. And
and you're going to work out how addicted you are to the adrenaline. That is really oh, what's totally. going to happen for you across the next that's, few months. Oh, that's definitely what's going to happen. I'm going to become a massive heroin addict. Absolutely. It's going to yeah. be like Kendall <laughs> talking about horse, for sure. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Horse. God, what a thing. Um, Thank you for being also so generous with your time tonight. Hey, and thank you very much. It was really nice to meet you. 